welcome to the 73rd episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, the Tobes. We're back to review our first ever bowl victory. Let's get started. This game certainly didn't go as expected. We thought we'd see Frank Harris lead the offense out one last time, but the morning of the game, we learned that Frank had sustained a shoulder injury in the two-lane game and couldn't play. Instead, we saw a passing of the torch as Owen McCown got his first start of the season. The offense started out rough with the first five drives ending in either a punt or an interception. Marshall capitalized on the first turnover, scoring a touchdown two plays later. They added another touchdown on a 64-yard run by Rasheen Ali. With Marshall up to a 14-0 lead early in the second quarter, it seemed like this could be another missed opportunity for UTSA to win a bowl game. But I should know to never count the Roadrunners out. Finally, the offense came alive, scoring a pair of rushing touchdowns from Robert Henry and a touchdown reception from Josh Cephas to give the Roadrunners a 21-17 lead going into halftime. In the second half, it was all Roadrunners. The defense came out strong, holding Marshall scoreless and coming up with an interception by Cam Alexander. The offense added touchdowns from Rocco Griffin and David Amador. In the end, the Roadrunners achieved their goal winning the first bowl game in program history, 35-17 to over Marshall, and ending the season with a 9-4 and record. What were your thoughts on the game? It was just a bizarre. Just everything just seemed bizarre leading up to the game and then within the game. You know, first of all, like, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the news broke that Tuesday morning that Frank Harris wasn't playing. So it kind of just feels like that first sentence you had the summary was perfect. The game certainly didn't go as expected because... It, it already started off, like, with a head-scratcher, right? Right. I mean, everyone was expecting Frank, but it makes sense now when you go back and you look at the performance in Tulane. I mean, he seemed off. They, even though they showed that play and it happened, I think, in the second quarter. Yeah. He seemed off that whole game, and so maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he had hurt his shoulder earlier and it just aggravated it made it worse because it certainly, that play didn't look like it was that dramatic, but... It, it makes sense now why he wasn't getting the production that I think he wanted to get during that game. Absolutely. And so then we get Owen McCown, you know, the, <laughs> we ended up taking a picture with him afterwards, uh, which we could talk about a little bit later, but did not look doe-eyed, I would say, but no. um, it kind of made the matchup a little more intriguing because you had, as we had talked about in our preview, uh, Chad Pennington's son. Cole Pennington was starting for Marshall, and now you had Josh McCown's son starting for UTSA. Yeah, and the interesting thing is those two were very briefly teammates um, on the 2008 Miami Dolphins team. Um, I think Josh McCown was only there for the offseason, but nonetheless, just to see those two former teammates with their sons playing against each other, an interesting story. Yeah, and, you know, ESPN, again, you know, has kind of played that up a little bit. So, again, bizarre things that are happening, right? Like, now all of a sudden we get this kind of cool matchup, as we, you know, already mentioned. But then here's another bizarre thing that happens is, okay, we have our zero on offense. Frank Harris is out. Now Rashad Wisdom during the game ends up breaking his arm and ends up going out, right? Yeah. And so then they kind of walk off the field together with because Frank had... Uh, walked out there and there was where we were sitting it was kind of interesting because people were like no no Rashad Wisdom standing up no he's right there but it was actually Frank and you kept saying you kept telling the people next to us I was like no Rashad's on the ground Frank's standing up that's why you see yeah. zero <laughs> but 
yeah, to see them kind of walk off the field together, you know, again, wasn't the way that they wanted this game to go, I'm sure. You know, they both thought this was going to be, you know, kind of that capstone for the two of them, but I'm glad that we were able to give them a victory to walk away from. Right, and it, it certainly wasn't the way we wanted to see them walk off either. Like, sure. you know, they're... Coach Trailer talked about this, you know, someday they'll make a movie of this whole season or whatever, and it feels like sort of that Hollywood ending, right, where the both of them kind of walk off, like, almost arm in arm, because, um, you know, <laughs> they've just been kind of tied together. Even mm-hmm. though they went to different high schools, it just seems like those two have been tied at the hip forever. Right. Uh, so it was just kind of weird not seeing your two zeros on the field on either side of the ball. Here's another weird thing, and again, the bizarre game continues. You have Rashin Ali, who's the star running back for Marshall, plays the first half, scores, as you said, that 64-yard touchdown, mm-hmm. but we don't see him in the second half. And there was really there was really no explanation. I didn't notice it um, you know, during the when we were watching the game there live. And then when we rewatched it, the ESPN announcers, no one really said anything about it. They just saw him on the sideline. Yeah, and then finally when they did, they implied that it was a coach's decision and, you know, made it seem like, okay, maybe this was an opt-out, but the coach was taking, you know, kind of the blame for it, if you will. And, right. And Coach Huff had mentioned at one point, you know, we're trying to limit his number of carries or his pitch count. And so... You know, the storyline you were left with was that, you know, maybe he had just agreed to play the first half or he only agreed to play for part of the game. But it just seemed odd because the team was struggling so much in the second half and their offense just seemed to really stall without him. But then later on, as we were preparing for the podcast, I found two articles, one by Underdog Dynasty and one by the Charleston newspaper that referenced the fact that he had sustained an injury during the game. Um, And they both Hmm. quoted Coach Huff saying, one of those plays, something happened, and the trainers told me he was unavailable. We had planned to kind of have him on a pitch count anyway, just because of where he's been this season. And I think he went over that. So basically, for those of you know, who may not know his history, he was injured for part of the season. I think he had an injury last season. He's an NFL prospect. So... You know, that was why they were thinking maybe he might opt out. But those two articles were the only ones that really referenced an injury. And maybe it wasn't really a significant injury. It might have been something like he just tweaked something and they thought, okay, let's just stop now before he really hurts himself. But kind of interesting that that narrative hadn't really popped up anywhere else. I mean, I didn't see anybody on Twitter talking about an injury or anything like that. Right. And, you know, I think that that did change the game, whether, you know, you're Marshall fan or a UTSA fan because that second half, as you said, it felt like the Marshall offense like sputtered when they really right. needed somebody to get them those yards. They didn't have that workhorse. Right. Even Coach Huff said within the, he pretty much said, look, it changed a lot of the offensive schemes we had. We had to go mm-hmm. into different personnel that we hadn't really. It sounded like they really hadn't practiced on. Right. Of course. So I'm not really sure about whether there really was a pitch count for him because it feels like they had sets that they were still going to run with him because I think they still really wanted to win this game and I think they were still in position to do so. But, you know, not having your workhorse 
Yeah. Th- that could have been UTSA story too because you could have we could have because we were missing Frank Harris. That could have been the same storyline here where well we got we got a pretty good performance from Owen, but it wasn't enough to win the game. Right. Uh, now that's not what happened, of course, but you get it if you see it from that lens. Another bizarre thing from this from this game was that UTSA loses their turnover bar- battle three to one, yet still win the game. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, when you hear about a team having three turnovers, that the storyline doesn't end well, or right. just in general losing the turnover battle. Right? You just expect that to be the narrative on the losing side, not the other side. But you know, Marshall only capitalized on one of our turnovers. Right, and we capitalized on the one turnover he had. So essentially kind of negates each other, right? That really seems to be, it adds to the, I think, the story of the game where Marshall left, to me, felt left a lot of points on the field. So one last thing that was kind of bizarre, you know, you know, for, uh, for a game that many people feel like maybe doesn't matter, things got chippy. Now, the refs let it get chippy because they weren't really throwing flags. Yeah. But it felt like there was like some extra pushing, but it's both ways. Let's not let's not candy coat it for just saying that UTSA is innocent here. Uh, but there certainly was a lot of extracurricular activity occurring. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised that it actually didn't get more out of hand. Um, to be honest with you, and certainly um, UTSA was, I don't know, maybe a little bit more at fault. It seemed like we we tend to like to trash talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our coach is emotional. Yeah. They play with emotion. It, it happens. You know, there, there is certainly a lot of um, gyrations and celebrations after, you know, some big stops. And yeah. look, I mean, you want some emotion in the game, but it can also cause some, you know, ebbs and flows within the game, too. So Yeah, and just on your point earlier about these bowl games not mattering, like, it's interesting how that's been the narrative the last couple of years when we haven't won. Like, oh, bowl games are just like exhibition games. They're not that important. It's the championships. But there sure as a heck was a lot of celebrating from the same people who were like, oh, bowl games aren't important. Well, if they're not important, then why do you care that we won? Just saying. It's a fair point. Um, but I will then uh, tell you that our friend Christy had kind of mentioned to us, like, after the bowl game, that we weren't really seemed to be as celebratory um, after this bowl win as we would have been, like, say, after the championship games. And I don't think that it wasn't that it didn't matter. It just felt like a sense of relief. Like, we finally checked off this box of saying, we got this monkey off our back. Well, for me personally, the way that the game started had me, like I said in my recap, feeling like, great, is here we go again, like this isn't going to end well. And so once it became a reality that we were going to win this game, like I don't know, I certainly felt a sense of relief. You know, it was like, thank God we pulled it off, you know. <laughs> but I will be the first one to admit, I bowl games matter to me. I think they're important for the team. I think they're important for the program to show that they can win these games. I know I might be in that minority, but... Um, Certainly was very happy, but it was that just overall sense of relief in the moment because there were just some times in the first part of the game where I thought, I don't know if this could be the reality, you know, where the championship games, I never felt that way. I felt like we had it, you know, we were going to win those games or from early on. That's, yeah, I think you summed up my feelings as well, too. Um, 
I, I just, I don't know. I like bowl games. Um, I think the more college football you can have, the better. And I think taking on teams that maybe we normally wouldn't right. on a G5 level. You know, sure, it's great to play a P5 team, but playing other good G5 teams give you an opportunity to kind of say, are we as good as some of these G- other G5 teams? And there had been some chaos before in previous, um, you know, bowl games. You know, and I won't go through all of them, but there had right. been some chaos. But it felt like always excuses as to why we didn't win. Right. This one, again, you have the bizarre events, as we've already talked about. You have Frank Harris now all of a sudden not playing, even though the team knew. You know, again, Trailer mentions that it's the greatest secret they've ever kept. But, you know, I think to add to that is they kept the secret, they drop it, and that could have been what sunk this team. But it didn't. They, yeah. they instead rallied. And, and that was something that I think is good for the team moving forward. It's, you know, as you said, these bowl games can be great for the program and to show many things. And to me, you know, one of the things that I think we'll circle back on is the fact that they rallied around someone other than Frank to help them get this win. So let's go back real quick because we did predict a much closer game. Yeah. And I think all of the reasons that we put out, or at least have already kind of talked about in terms of the bizarre events that happened during before and during the game, I think really changed the narrative of where we were going with our predictions. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if we had known that Rasheen Ali was only going to play one half, if we had known that it had been... Owen playing, you know, that might have changed kind of the predictions. But again, we ended that first quarter with it being, you know, a four point game or not the first quarter, sorry, the first half with it being a four point game. And it felt like, okay, maybe this is going to be a little bit more back and forth than than what we thought. Yeah. Um, But fortunately, that second half was, like I said, it was a very different game. Right, and again, factors to that as to why that happened. Uh, but, you know, looking back at the game, I think I don't know that knowing those things moving forward, we would have really changed our score predictions too much. I, I think, you know, looking at this Marshall team, as much as it, it's 6-6 six and six team, that, that defense was still really good, and that's what we wanted to impress on our, any of the listeners that we have, mm-hmm. is that, look, you're not facing a team with a bad defense. You're, you're facing a team that's got a very good defense. Their offense is a bit in chaos. And we'll go through some of the things that, you know, UTSA did um, on the opposing side of each ball that I think contributed to the wins. But I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have changed my score prediction much. Maybe yeah. lowered it a little bit. A little bit. Um, I'm glad I'm wrong, though, about yeah, it being certainly. close. It's probably... You didn't need the heart medication that you you had said in your prediction. <laughs> no, no, I only I only had a, a couple of those moments really in the first quarter. But you know, the other thing was it was really nice at the end of the game that we were able to go on the field. Right. We didn't get that opportunity with the South Florida game because it went so late into the evening and it was a Friday. You know, I thought that was a nice way to be able to get on the field and celebrate. And it wasn't something that they had expected. You know, somebody from the UTSA staff had mentioned they didn't think that they were going to allow the fans on the field. Again, it was fun. We were able to, like you mentioned before, take a picture with Owen and, you know, just get to see some of these guys and kind of interact with them on the field and see how they were celebrating with each other. Um, and so it was just kind of a nice way to finish off the season. The defensive linemen smoking cigars and yeah. then taking pictures. Mostly, was it Nick Booker-Brown, I think? JB and Buxton, I think it was one of the other ones. And I, I want to say it was either Brandon Brown or Madison. Um, I could be wrong. Um, but it was 
it was a lot of the big dudes, uh, big nasties on the defensive line that uh, were were proudly smoking those victory cigars, and you know they earned them. They they certainly earned them through their play. I think uh, looking back, you know, being able to celebrate was terrific. But real quick, Trailer talking about the coffee coming down his crack had to be like one of the great moments to celebrate within the first bowl victory. Yeah, I mean, you know, you want to talk about bizarre things that happen. Like, we'll we'll always have that comment from Trailer. Yeah, we just happened to be on the field when that happened, and it was like. I stopped for a second because I was like, did I really hear what I thought I heard? And, and you do have, you have video yes. of like us being on the field at uh, that time. At that time. Uh, and there was certainly a lot of laughter, but um, you know, it was great just kind of looking back, seeing all the, all the UTSA fans were there. Obviously not a lot from Marshall's side. It's a long way to travel, but from the UTSA side, I would say that it was the normal familiar faces that we've seen uh, when we've traveled to many a uh, uh, an away game this season. Yeah, that, the, um, the diehard fan base yeah. <laughs> that, that tends to go to most would, of the away games. The sickos, I guess. Yeah. The, the college football sickos. Um, it, it was fun to see all of you. Um, if we got a chance to talk, um, obviously, um, always fun You know, catching up with many of you. And obviously love the fact that uh, many of you listen. So let's get to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, the key to the game that I put there was finished drives. I previously talked about the last three bowl games where just hadn't been able to finish any of the drives and put up points. In this game, it was actually only had five scoring drives out of 14 total offensive drives. Actually worse than we had done in 2020 and 2021. Better than we did last season against Troy. But I think it really came down to the fact that and third down conversions, and that's not something that I really put into, I think, in the preview, but in the previous three bowl games, there were a combined six for 10 in third down conversions on the first quarter. But after the first quarter, only two for 20. And in the last two games against San Diego State and Troy, they were 0 for 13 converting third downs in the, essentially after the first quarter. You're not extending drives. You're not getting first downs. You know, your, your, your offense is sputtering. It's not allowing your defense to get some rest. It's not allowing, you know, the defense to be able to uh, take advantage of, you know, being ahead or anything. So that really, I think, contributed to the fact that there was losses the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, this season, it really felt like, look, you know, you, you end up one for five converting in third downs in the first quarter, but six for nine the rest of the way. And that's really what was the story of the second quarter was the fact that I think they go three for three in terms of, you know, converting their first, their third down conversions, but they had big plays. And, you know, right. you talked about the fact that there is a slow start. The last three games, they've actually started the, the bowl games. They started fast and then fizzled. This game, they started slow and then came to life in the second quarter. So, right. I, you know, to me, I, I thought it was really interesting to see them. And again, how they rallied. Um, there was a lot of moments, especially when we talk about Owen McCown, um, who went 22 for 31 for 251 yards passing. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. He had eight carries for 28 yards. Had a 26-yard scramble. But he did have one fumble. Look, I, I think looking at Owen McCown, and I think some of the things, you know, numbers that I've just filled your head with, um, you know, I think it's easy to say that, you know, he had a fantastic game. I mean, you know, going 22 for 31 is still a pretty high completion percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was tough to look at Owen starting because it was always going to be tough to replace Frank Harris. 
there's like sort of a expectation versus reality right. um, aspect going here where you have whoever's going to replace Frank Harris is always going to be compared to Frank Harris. But we got to be careful with that because Frank Harris had 51 career starts. Seeing some of the things he sees, you know, on, I would say from opposing defenses, he's able to make adjustments quicker. Right. And I think he's able to work with said offensive coordinator, Owen or Eddie or name whatever quarterback potentially, you know, would get there in the, in the transfer portal and could possibly win the, the starting job next season. I think the expectations are just going to have to be a little bit different. Like, sure. they're just, it's going to have to have, we're just, I think as fans, going to have to be careful of how we compare or when we compare Frank to any of these quarterbacks. Sure. I think to me, if you're going to compare quarterbacks like this, Frank Harris to one of these other quarterbacks, you're going to have to compare them to 2020 Frank or 2019 Frank. Right, which no. I don't think a lot of people really remember. When they think of Frank Harris, right. they think of 2022 Frank. Like exactly. That's, that, that is the epitome of Frank Harris. And, you know, it's hard at times to go back and remember that that was not the guy that we saw in 2020, you know? Right. You saw a guy that was pretty good, which is, I think, what you saw from Owen McCown. Pretty good. I mean, look, Owen had some moments of what we would say greatness, right? Like that 41-yard throw to Tyke, Tight window, put it right there for Tyke. Those are the moments you're like, oh, wow. Then yeah. showing some of the scrambling skills, right? Like, you know, I, I know I've talked about it with you off the pod, but... You don't really need a Frank Harris type of like scrambler or runner. You just need a guy that can, you know, sidestep uh, the pressure, the pressure right. and then be able to del- deliver the ball. And that was the thing was that I thought Owen did a good job of that, you know, throughout the game. Yeah. And then there are those moments where you remembered he's a redshirt freshman. You know, <laughs> yeah. you have the time where he's forcing that throw to Tyke when Tyke's being covered by Micah Abram, which is. Marshall's top quarterback and of course it gets intercepted and you think right. okay did we force that to Tyke because that was the game call or or the play call or was that just you know a judgment error where he should have gone to his next read right and, and trailer said afterwards that he checked to that throw it looked more like he left it short like it felt like Tyke was supposed to be on the outside and instead of throwing it outside Owen left it inside uh, which was right where Micah was. Right. So uh, probably one of the easier interceptions of Micah's career. But, you know, I, looking back, because we were so close, and especially we sat close in the first half of the yeah. game before we kind of moved higher in the second half, um, we saw some moments with Owen, especially that you wanted to highlight. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, when you look at Owen, and people will naturally compare him to Frank, you know, they're very different in terms of their personalities, Frank is that very extrovert, and Owen seems much more introverted. You know, he's he's very even-tempered. You didn't see him get upset when he had those two interceptions. Like, you would have seen emotion from Frank, and Owen just really kind of kept it together. Um, but I thought one of the things that showed Owen's leadership that we were able to see on the sideline was that he had, it was either the first or the second interception, he walked over to the defense and kind of thanked them. Like, and he was kind of shaking, you know, doing knuckles, shaking hands, whatever. And you could tell, like, he was showing them, like, thank you for basically coming through. I think it was a second, you know. Um, yeah, I think it was a second interception. Interception and, like, getting us back, you know, to a place where they could kind of turn the tide. And then you saw him after 
you know, multiple offensive plays, going up to the, you know, offensive linemen and, you know, kind of thanking them. And so you can see he's got that quiet leadership. So he's not going to be somebody like Frank who's going to be really outgoing and, and maybe as comfortable in front of an audience. You could see that he was bonding with these guys and he was building that kind of level of rapport that you would expect from, from your quarterback. Yeah, and I like the way that you kind of made the differentiated Owen from Frank because um, even when we took that picture, like Frank would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, blah, blah. And, and Owen was much shyer in the way he yeah. kind of looked at us and was like, oh, yeah, you really want a picture? Like, it almost felt like you really want a picture with me. And it's yeah. like, I, I do want a picture with the first quarterback to lead us to a, a bowl victory, right? Like, that's, there's something big about that. Whatever happens to Owen moving forward uh, doesn't matter to me. It's he, that This was his night, and yeah. he had a good night in terms of leading the UTSA offense to the you know to help them get the victory. Now, he did have, the, you mentioned the two turnovers, the two interceptions, had a fumble. Um, you know, Oscar seemed to just not hang on to that first throw and, you know, popped it up in the air and it got intercepted. Um, not, I wouldn't say that was on Owen at all. It looked like, you know, just some stone hands from Oscar at that right. moment. You know, it, it happens. Uh, and then, you know, he seemed to have kind of gotten into some rhythm because, you know, it felt like we started going. But even then, there was like, you know, you had mentioned that there was, you know, punt, interception, punt, interception, punt. It was the first five drives. Four of those were three and out, excuse me. And, you know, looking back at that, again, you, you could make the argument that, and only you kind of already made it, is that that just kind of derails UTSA moving right. forward. But the fact that they were able to rally again there, for him to start getting some momentum as they, you know, kind of move forward, um, you know, after Marshall's up 14-0, it just felt like it... it felt like he knew how to handle himself and I, I don't know like I said I don't know what happens to him moving forward but what I do know is that there are a lot of a lot of good qualities and you do feel a little bit better about where the quarterback position potentially is going to be moving yeah. forward I think we always think of Owen we see like a little better passer than Frank but maybe not the scrambler that Frank is um, and maybe doesn't have the awareness that Frank does but the hope is for him to have greatness. And, you know, he was helped out certainly quite a bit by, I would say, the play calling because the play calling got a little bit more conservative. Um, it was shorter routes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think, looked at ways to stay away from Micah Abraham. Right. I think that was one of your frustrations early on was, you know, you did mention to me, it's like, why do we keep going to... Why do we keep going at Abraham? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Yeah, and the announcer said the same thing. Like... Honestly, everyone expected Abram to be on Josh Cephas, but in the first half he was playing on Tyke, and yet we seem to be going to Tyke, even though, you know, that's who was defending him. It's like it's just, we just kept tempting it, right? Like yeah. it's just like we're we're playing with fire, and you know, we ended up losing a couple of battles there, um, and it wasn't until Tyke um, switched sides essentially that he essentially was taken by the less talented cornerback, and then started getting. Tyke started making some plays. But let's talk about Josh Cephas real quick, who ends up being the offensive MVP. Seven catches and 102 yards and one touchdown to end his career with UTSA. He ends up the single-season career receiving yards leader. I think he also ends up with the career receptions leader. I think what hit me after the game was just how much we'll miss some of these players. In particular, Josh Cephas. And we'll probably talk about him more when we review the season, but... 
after seeing how he handled himself in this game, he did not look at all at any point worried. He yeah. seemed very level-headed too. And compare that to Ty Key, who again, somebody I think that we're going to end up missing as well. Yeah. I end up talking to Jared from Alma Audible at halftime. And, you know, on Josh Cephas's touchdown uh, catch, he talks about how Ty Key was down the field and made such a great downfield block. And he said it was just chef's kiss. Yeah. And it started getting me thinking, because it's like, you know, those are the things that really don't show up on the in the box score. And I think right. even Jared said as much on, on their podcast. But the thing was, is that like, you know, those are the plays that your role players make that you just you, you just forget about yeah. when you look back at their careers. Yeah, I mean, Tyke obviously had the best season of his career this year. But again, it's those little things, you know, when you you have to look at the PFF scores to notice, you know, or really be what, you know, focused on him during the game. I mean, those little things made a huge difference in several games. And you know, those are the little things that a lot of times I think players take for granted because they want to be the one making the touchdown. They want to be the one making the big catch. But that goes back to kind of Trailer's discussion about, you know, the culture of the team where you have to put the team first. Right. And that, sometimes that means being the guy who's making the great blocks for the other guy who's making the touchdown, you know. And little fact here, but Tyke's downfield block was on one Mike. Abraham, yeah. the top corner for Marshall. So, you know, I, when looking back at these two guys, there's a lot of things that you'll miss, and it's great to kind of look back at this game and see just the impact that both of them had. But I think Tyke, you know, we always he always called him potential, right? right? And, you know, we kind of joked about it before, too. He had a rough, rough, like, bowl game last year against Troy. But to see how he grew this season and to see how he finished the season and the game, uh, I, I just really impressed with with Taiki. I yeah, mean, I forever. Mean, I think it's just yeah. His he really grew up, and I think really grew into a role that I think many of us didn't think he'd ever get to. Right. A young guy though that we need to talk about real quick is David Amador. You kind of talked about his touchdown, but he just seemed like he was destined to get that cross the uh, end zone line and he was not going to be stopped. Oh no, he definitely was working hard to get his first touchdown, you know. And we've listened to Trailer again talk game of after game about, you know, Devin McEwen and then kind of throw in and David Amador, you know, he's really great. We just haven't seen it yet. And so yeah. for us to see it in this game, I think was a really nice ending to his season and then again, if you go back and watch that pass, that reception, you know, he just willed himself the, he did, he into did. the end zone. Like, he was not going down. So, um, you know, again, great effort by him. And, and shows you, you know, while we're talking about Josh and Tyke and, you know, how much we're going to miss him, we've got David Amador, Devin McEwen. Hopefully they don't end up in the transfer portal, but, you know, we've got them as our future. Good point. Um one thing before I, I, we kind of wrap up this offensive section is uh, the running backs, Rocco, Kavorian, um, Robert Henry. While we didn't really talk about them too much, the thing was is they did the dirty work. There was a lot of yeah. rushing up the middle, um, a lot of frustration, I think, early, I think in the first quarter where they couldn't find any holes, and Marshall was really dominating our offensive line. And then, you know, it's just like we wore them down. And mm -hmm. because of it, you didn't see like a huge, huge run, but you did see some 
really good, I would say, body blows to that Marshall defense. And it, it goes without saying that in, in doing that, it kind of just opened some things up for UTSA and allowed them to kind of march down the field a little easier. Um, let me ask you this as we wrap up the offensive section. Based on what we already discussed about Owen and you know potentially any other future quarterback and just the performances we saw throughout the offense, do you believe that this is the kind of top, like the type of offensive scheme or production you think that we're going to see next season? Because we didn't get 400 yards, we ended up like right. about 387. So probably at first. I mean, you got to remember whoever is the quarterback, whether it's Eddie Owen or you know future transfer portal quarterback they're not going to have as much comfort with the playbook as Frank has. They may not be as comfortable reading defenses, especially if it's Owen or Eddie, just because they're, you know, those two are younger quarterbacks in terms of the amount of game, you know, games that they've played. And I think you saw a little bit of that with Owen, you know, where we do a lot of RPOs and maybe he wasn't as comfortable, you know, pulling it himself. And, yeah. and kind of hand it off to the running back um, when Frank probably wouldn't have. So, you know, I think at least at first you're going to see that because they're likely going to try to simplify the playbook in the beginning so that whoever the quarterback is feels comfortable. And then, you know, as we get to maybe the later part of the season, you may see, you know, more offense um, or offensive production. But... I don't think we should expect to see a return to 2022's type of offense right away. And again, you've got three really talented running backs. We assume we'll have some combination of three really talented running backs coming back next season. So, you know, I think you're going to probably continue to lean on the run game, you know, maybe more than we have in in previous seasons. I agree. I I think that there's, it's not going to be the, the 450 yard, you know, offensive performances that we've been kind of used to, like you said, mm-hmm. with like 2022, and then at times in the 2023 season. But I do think that there's going to be a more reliance over more of a balanced, really good defense, and then playing good situational in the offense. Um, and you know, and it can, it's shown through as I mentioned before in terms of third down conversions. You know that it really helped that they were able to continue to get those first downs and move this offense forward. Let's get to the defense. Keys to victory were get pressure on Pennington. Yeah, you know, I talked about how he, how he had a forty five percent completion percentage, and essentially no touchdowns, three interceptions when he was pressured. In this game, when pressured, he had a thirty three percent completion percentage, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Got to Pennington and, you know, made him essentially pay for trying to, you know, get a throw off when getting pressured. So, didn't allow him to really get comfortable, I would say. Mm -hmm. Though, I thought that without, I mean, without an offensive coordinator, I thought that they put together a pretty good offensive plan. It took some really big plays by this UTSA defense, you know, in the passing game to keep them from really putting up some big touchdowns because right. there were some really good throws downfield by Pennington that I think normally would would have been touchdowns had our secondary not really stepped up. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, um, you know, Marshall put up 367 total yards, but this UTSA defense created six sacks, nine tackles for loss. They defended eight passes and ended up with an 80% stop rate. So 12 out of 15 drives for Marshall ended up goose eggs right 
you know, they missed a couple of field goals. They just weren't able to get themselves going. Now, they made some... Charles Huff made some questionable decisions on offense. ESPN announcers kind of said, well, you know, this is where you need an offensive coordinator to kind of talk him out of some of the decisions. But I find it hard to think that Barry Lunny or Will Stein or even Justin Burke is talking Jeff Trailer out of some play if Jeff already has his mind set to it. So... Why would we think that someone's gonna, you know, tell Charles Huff, hey, let's not, let's not do a fake, try to fake a, you know, a field goal here, um, or let's not try to do whatever it is, right? Right. They they had a plan, and I think that it was pretty good. They just, I don't know, again, they just didn't quite execute on some of their plays, and then, yeah, that there, there were a few mistakes that, you know, you just couldn't overcome. Right. A lot of it coming from one man. Cam Alexander. Mm-hmm. He becomes a defensive player of the game. Uh, he had an interception. He had five passes that he did not allow a completion on. I thought it was funny that, you know, Trailer had asked in the post game, all right, who's going to ask Cam, you know, why he didn't run that interception back for a touchdown? And so finally somebody did, and, and Cam had answered, well, you know, they, the Marshall players got there, got back to me a lot quicker than I expected him to. It's like, man, you can't. He's got to go full speed on his <laughs> yeah. plays, you know? It felt like he took his, his uh, foot off the gas a yeah. little bit. But, look, I'm not going to dog him too much, especially with the fact that, you know, I thought it was a terrific, terrific interception. Yeah, um, I mean, he really went for that catch. I mean, he had to jump up in the air and get it. And Like they said, you know, Pennington probably didn't think that Cam could jump that high and get that pass. Well, but it wasn't Pennington. It was the back. It was oh, the, was the four-string yeah. qu- quarterback. Right. Uh, but even then, it had to be forced. I mean, yeah. I, I think it was gonna it it was gonna probably be an interception no matter what because fourth and fourteen, you're just trying to drive the ball down the field. Yeah. And you know, you had kind of mentioned before off the pod, like that usually becomes sort of a punting situation. Right. You know, where if you get the ball intercepted, it's intercepted, it gets tackled, and you don't lose too much out of it. But yeah, you didn't expect to get a fifty something yard return on that. Right. Um, but it was just, you know, it just. Things just came together on that interception, and just great blocking downfield, also by this UTSA defense. I mean, good job by them figuring out how to like you know knock Marshall players, the offensive players, out of the way for you mm-hmm. know Cam to be at least get a bit of a tunnel before everybody caught up to him and right. uh, tackled him. But uh, yeah, it then led to a one play drive where you know essentially uh, we get a touchdown off of it, and I, I think that's just the story of this defense. You know, Jamal Ligon plays. You know, another great game. You know, I still go back to the fact when you had playfully called him out and he ends up having just a great backstretch of, you know, of the season. And it just, I don't know, whatever it was, it just felt like he played some inspired ball down the stretch. It just really seemed like, especially in this game, like he was everywhere on the field. Um, He ended up being the all-time leader in assisted tackles with 148 for his career so far. And all signs point to the fact that he'll be back next year, so that number's just going to grow. Yeah, and, you know, I talked about some of these um, secondary players that played, made some great plays. Ken Robinson, I think throughout his career, he's just been underrated. You know, in the in the 2020 season, I remember him dropping an interception um, in the first responder bowl, mm-hmm. and it could have been a pick six there. But a uh, big drop by him. But he always felt like the odd corner out right like he always felt like there was Tariq and Corey Mayfield and then you know oh there's Ken Robinson too like it just felt like Ken was never given the same spotlight as these other two but absolutely played another great game and he's been kind of shuffling back and forth between cornerback and safety so 
to to have been able to do that takes a special kind of player. You've right. got to be able to adjust your mentality a few times. And Ken has done it just throughout his UTSA career. Yeah. Owen Peewee was the other one that I thought, you know, again, if you look at his stats, they weren't necessarily impressive. But just watching him, he seemed like he was creating all sorts of havoc. His PFF scores, you know, show that he really had a great night. I think it was like the second or third highest PFF scores for the game. But again, if you just look at that stat line, the number of, ta- you know, sacks, tackles, whatever, didn't really show the story. But it was like, you know, you constantly were seeing him, you know, in the middle of the play, hearing yeah. his name called on the field. Just one of those guys. <laughs> And I'm starting to laugh, and I'm sorry. It's because our friend Christy, her sister, um, was just yelling out "Pee Wee, Pee Wee" like yeah. throughout the second half, and it was just, I, you know, it was fun to see him flying around. Maybe we're in the era of the Owens, Owen McCown, Owen Pee Wee. It'd be great, right? Like I, I think both players are are, are destined to have some good careers here at uh, UTSA. Um, one last thing. Um, before we start wrapping this piece up, is that we had 34 player um, guys play on on defense as opposed to Marshall at 22. The depth was real. Yeah. Uh, Marshall's got a really good defense, but you know to have UTSA play so many guys, and you had to because you lose Rashad Wisdom. Right. You you kind of lose a couple of other guys, you know, briefly for some injuries, but you had a bunch of different guys play, which I think is a great thing um, because of the fact that normally you'd have you wouldn't be able to play your freshman, right? Because it was, you can only play four games and that's it. Right. But they allow them to play the bowl games. So, you know, and get them up to essentially five games for the season. So I, to me, that's big because you get these young guys a, a chance to play against different competition. You get them, you know, being able to practice all these guys, bring these guys and get them some time, you know, and playing against a real opponent, you know, not just themselves, big for this uh, UTSA program. Yeah, and... On Marshall's snap count, I went back and looked, and four of their players played every single snap on defense. UTSA didn't have a single defensive player that played every single snap. Ken Robinson came pretty close, but no one played every single snap on defense. So that just shows you how we were able to wear down Marshall at some point, because again, he gets hired playing all of those snaps. And we were able to keep our guys fresh and really do a lot of rotation. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, you asked me kind of about the, the <laughs> offensive side and the future. So how do you feel about the future of the defense based on what we saw in this game? I, I think you cap, you uh, emphasized it with how many guys actually played, and there was not as much drop-off. There were missed assignments. There were bad angles taken. Sure that happens like guys are trying to make plays and sometimes just take bad angles and position themselves incorrectly i'm not too worried about what i'm worried about is how do you how do you get up and play the next play and i felt like you know just as you were talking we were talking about right now it's just you had a bunch of guys play and it felt like you contained marshall and even when marshall got some big plays on us it didn't ever feel like this was gonna like really get away from utsa yeah it felt like okay, well, maybe we're going to get another field goal. We'll talk about their special teams here in a second, but it just felt the same way, I think, as an offense. There's a really good future. I was concerned about how we would get a pass rush. Really, I was concerned about the fact that Trey Moore can, would, normally was able to win his matchup. 
here we had more of I don't know that every somebody was really always winning their matchup, but you know the blitzes helped, and there were some really great moments I think from the defense where not having to play so many snaps, you're fresh right. and you're able to get to the quarterback pretty quick. So Pennington really had a lot of this defense in his face because of how many guys they rotated, and you know Marshall kept huddling up, so it wasn't like there was they had a quick tempo uh, much of the time. So because of it, it just played into UTSA's strength. Right. So. Let's get to the special teams. You know, I said a key to victory here was stay disciplined in the kickoff coverage. Sorry, because of the fact that you know we had talked about how Jaden Harrison was a big time returner, um, did a pretty really good job. I mean, he did have a couple of returns, but they weren't for yeah, hardly um, any yards. So yeah, I mean, we really were able to contain him for the most part. And we got a lot of consistent punting from another guy. I think we're going to miss in Lucas Dean. I think we've just kind of gotten jaded by the fact that we normally get incredible punts out of him and even when they're not incredible punts usually they're better than a majority of punters out there right. in, in division one football and you know it, looking at him it's just going to be another big loss i think coming up for next season yeah hopefully the uh australian punter that we signed this class um will live up to the same expectations as lucas i hope so too although i guess we probably shouldn't put those expectations on him already yeah yeah i think it, I think it goes back to the expectations for reality right same thing, exactly same thing with frank right like so <laughs> yeah i mean on the flip side marshall just had a rough game on special teams i mean we talked about their kicker going into the game his long is 44 yards he matched that in this game um because of some issues that they had in poor execution, he tried to take a longer field goal and it didn't work. Um, and then I think he missed another field goal that was shorter. Yeah. You know, it's just rough when you're one and three on field goals. Um, Marshall needed those points to, to kind of get some momentum going in the second half and did not execute well. And then they had that fake field goal that was, again, very poorly executed. Um, and on the flip side, UTSA did what we needed to do. You know, there weren't any just absolutely spectacular plays on special teams, but there weren't any significant mistakes either. So, you know, they did exactly what they needed to do. Absolutely. Overall, just, I would say, a good UTSA win. Obviously still things we could probably improve on, but nothing that I think that isn't something that would be, you couldn't correct by the time next season came around. All right, before we go... We had National Signing Day the day after the bowl game. Not really going to get into that right now. We'll cover more of that in the spring after the February Signing Day. Uh, But we did sign a total of 15 players. Expect to see somewhere around five more before the spring. You know, the other thing to kind of keep your eye on, there should be some guys hitting the transfer portal. Mm Mm-hmm because they'll be processed, you know, or starting to have those conversations with the um, coaching staff about what their chances are realistically of getting playing time next year. A couple of guys who hit the portal recently, Kedrick Cobbs, Kyle Eaves, and Javon Debon. Again, I would expect to see a couple more of those guys, you know, hit the transfer portal in the next, you know, couple of days. Also, we should be keeping an eye on hearing some announcements from super seniors about who might be coming back next season. Um, And then the other position, I think, to keep an eye out on, we've already started to talk about this a little bit, but we expect to see a veteran quarterback coming from the transfer portal. 
trailer made a comment um, on, I think it was the Jason Minnick show after the um, bowl game, that they would be looking for a veteran quarterback to come in and compete with Owen and Eddie in the spring. He said that he didn't think Owen's performance at the bowl game was good enough to just win the starting position outright. While I don't necessarily disagree with it, I thought it was pretty interesting to hear Trailer being that candid. You know, in the past, he's been very careful about criticizing his players. And a lot of times he said that because the player may not be able to handle that kind of criticism. So I think that tells us a little bit about Owen in that he obviously has some pretty thick skin if Trailer's willing to make that type of comment. But again, I would expect if they're going to have a veteran quarterback from the transfer portal signed, it would likely be before the spring um, practices start so that that person could, you know, be here in the spring. So that would have to happen fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, Another big kind of piece of news that came out recently was about the NCAA two-time transfer rule. We had talked about that, I think, on the last pod and how that would impact the um, basketball team during that 14-day injunction period, well, they came out and said that those two-time transfers would be eligible to play for the rest of the season. So obviously that's big news for our basketball team. We'll talk a little bit more about Jordan Ivy Curry in a second. But the other thing that was interesting was that they said if a football player went into the transfer portal in the spring, that they would be eligible to play next season. So... Not really sure what kind of impact that might have on some of our players, but obviously that opens the door for some of the people who have transferred already to potentially hit the transfer portal again. Uh, Moving on to women's basketball, we had just an absolute heartbreaker of a loss to Houston in the Convocation Center, 64 to 66. We dug this hole where we were 20 points behind in the first half, and... It was just uh, too, too many baskets for us to, to be able to make up that difference. Yeah, I mean, I think there were moments where they could have at least tried to tie it up. Um, and they even took the lead at one point down the stretch, but it was a short-lived lead. And it just, it almost felt like we just ran out of gas yeah. uh, with the fact that they had to come out of that um, such a big hole. So I think um, the thing you have to talk about, though, with this game was that it was that breakout game for freshman Asia Proctor. She was just on fire. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about it before in terms of her just having a smooth jump shot and just kind of being somewhat automatic when it came to that mid-range jumper. Um, and, you know, in this game, I, I just thought she capitalized on, you know, her offensive opportunities. Now, I think, I think when you're watching her play, though, the area that I think that Coach Aston would probably say need, she needs to work on is her defensive assignments. Because I think there were a few times where she she was playing a different defense than the rest of the team. And I think that's what got her got her confused a little bit. And I think it cost the team a little bit. Now, that's the thing. Are, are you gonna are you gonna hit her with the well, you know, what were you thinking? But on the other hand, she was doing so well on the offensive end that it yeah, was like she, that she, you're like, I guess I'll take it, but I'd rather you know exactly what your defensive assignment is. Look, um, she led scoring with nineteen points, but again, you, you have to remember she's a freshman, right? right. So there but are going that, to be those times where they make mistakes. But that's what makes it so exciting. And I think that's that's where I really wanted to get to was, look, I, 
She didn't because you could see it from the coach's coaching staff's face. Um, but the fact that we're getting this production from a freshman, mm-hmm. someone giving us that spark, man, it's exciting. It's it's this team has some really good young talent. I've talked about it many times before, but you know, can't emphasize it enough that just seeing these seeing these ladies really step up to the moment. Because then we go to you know, as we drove up to Frisco, we were listening uh, to them play Oregon in Eugene, Oregon, and it ended up sixty-one to forty-eight. Oregon wins that game. However, I would say a majority of the game, UTSA was within three points right. the entire time. They just could not seem to find that shot or the offensive output or the defensive stop to get them to either tie the game up or to find a way to take the lead. Yeah, and again, you have. Asia Proctor leading the scoring with 20 points. So for freshmen to have one good game against a P5 school is one thing, but to follow it up with a second good game against another P5 program is just really impressive. And, you know, the fact that we had the scoring drought from Kira White and Adara Udo hurt the team. And then to see, you know, Asia Proctor, like kind of come through with some of that production to make up for the fact that those two were just not having, you know, a typical night for themselves. Um, I think was great. It's just that these youngsters, like essentially meeting that moment, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're not letting the moment get too big for them. They're, you know, they're going right at it. And it's, it's just great. I I, I love seeing it. Um, because then they go to Seattle and they cap off non-conference play with uh, a 75-64 win over Seattle. A game where I felt like they got up big in the second half. And I was watching on the phone um, before the Frisco Bowl game. Uh, they just seemed like they left their foot off the gas a little bit near yeah. the end. Because they were up by at least, I think it was 20, 21 points. And they just looked dominant. They looked they looked like when we talk about the UTSA football team looking bigger, faster, stronger than, than their yeah. opponent. They looked bigger, faster, stronger. And... Seattle came out and had taken an early lead, but UTSA just seemed like they weren't phased at all. Like you yeah. looked, you could see them focused. You could see them just, they knew they could win the game. They just, let's just keep the game going so that we could make some baskets, make some defensive stops, and we could put this team away. They chipped, again, Seattle chipped away at it, but overall, finishing up this non conference um, schedule, being six and five right now without. Jordan Jenkins, um, I think if you had told me this at the beginning of, or maybe at the end of the spring, and said the women's basketball team is not going to have Jordan Jenkins for the entire non-conference schedule, and who knows how much into the conference schedule, but for right now, not having having her at all for non-conference, and for them to be 6-5, and five, and then having played tough against Houston, and then some of these other losses being a little closer, just couldn't get over the hump. I wouldn't have believed you. Right, yeah. It, they've definitely shown a significant amount of progress year over year. Absolutely, and hopefully, you know, they, they continue to, you know, we continue to see this throughout the season because I think, you know, obviously we're there's going to be an adjustment period when Jordan comes back, um, you know, kind of integrating her back with what the team has been able to do. Uh, but, man, so many really great pieces. Yeah. So many great pieces. So their next um, game is the start of conference play Saturday, December 30th at Temple. It'll be on at noon on ESPN+. We'll be watching. (laughs) All right, men's basketball. Man, right after that women's game in Oregon where, you know, we really had a great game, we follow it up 
by listening to men's basketball, get so, so close to beating Oregon State. 65-66 to 66 was the final score. Just at the very end had, you know, kind of an ill-timed uh, foul that it was just heartbreaking. But the game marked the return of Jordan Ivy Curry. Sure did. He led the scorers with 11 points. And up until that, to the very end, I mean, this was probably the best team performance that we've seen from the men's basketball team all season. They, Absolutely. They just felt like they were all playing well. And you didn't see, you know, one score with a significant amount of points. Like I just said, Jordan led with 11 points. But it just felt like they all played up to the competition in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Oregon State's not necessarily a great team, but you're not going to, like, say, oh, we just beat an okay P5 team. I mean, this was big because it's also in Corvallis. Like, right. it, it just wasn't in the convo. So, you know, the fact that they, they got it big like that and, you know, we have our basketball teams out in the Pacific Northwest, you know, playing pretty well. Yeah. It, it, it's tough to swallow that we lost, but I think, you know, again, it came down to situational basketball where, you know, you see the women kind of excelling more than the men are right now. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you talked about the fact that it was an ill-advised foul, but, you know, I, it feels like the women will have an ill-advised foul, but they find a way to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And the men just at this point in the season are not able to overcome those right. mistakes. I mean, we were positioned at the very end, you know, we missed a basket, so... And I think we missed a we missed a one on one like a one in one, mm-hmm. so we missed that first free throw, and then allowed Oregon State the chance to get the ball back. So yeah, it, it just again situational. Yeah, and then you know they follow it up with this loss against Army at home, fifty three to sixty three, and it just it was very interesting to see the contrast between these two you know games. Like where I mentioned in Oregon State, it really felt like they were playing really well as a team. In the Army game, they were not. You could see that. I don't know if they were just out of rhythm, if something else had happened. You know, there were moments during the game where Christian Tucker was visibly angry at the team and, you know, was yelling at the guys because they weren't getting back into a huddle for a timeout. You know, so you could see kind of some cracks. And it wasn't... I'm I'm not sure if it was because... We just had multiple people having off nights if something else had happened, you know, but the team dynamic went from what seemed like this really great game at Oregon State to, okay, there's a lot of, there's something going wrong here, you know, and it just, you could see it in their shooting, they were off, you could see it in the way they were relating with each other, it just didn't feel cohesive, and I don't know exactly what happened, but we went on this long scoring drought, and it just well, we, we just we relied so much on a three point shot, and yeah. we're we're not great three point shooters. And the, but the other part to it was is that Army not being as athletic, not being as long, was just packing the middle. And instead of challenging those Army defenders to come out at them and guard them like with mid range jumpers, we kept relying on the three point shot over yeah. and over. And it just again contrasted with the women's team where the women find a way to move the ball around a little quicker, move, you know, there's a lot of cohesive passing around, passing the ball around. And it sounds so old school to say, but the women are able to 
do some one-on-ones at times and take their defender to the rim. But for the most part, they're moving the ball and they're moving about pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the men, it just doesn't move as quickly. And that just causes our opponent to not have to defend as hard as they would be if you're moving the ball around and you're moving it around more, I think, quickly, but also better situationally. And there was opportunities for them to score, but... I mean, even when they drove to the basket, there were times where they, they were just blowing layups. And it was yeah. like, what what's going on? Like, it just felt like quite the downer. And you said it to me during the game. It felt like a downer coming off of such a tough loss to Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed like there was something off the court, too, that, that wasn't quite working in addition to the problems that you saw on court. I would also have to criticize Coach Henson here, though, is that Coach Aston would have change the defense up mm-hmm. by like pressing some more or she would have changed something and he didn't seem to ever change the defense right um they waited till like a minute left in the game and down by like seven to start pressing yeah you they could have done that a long time before and with a young army team they could have rattled their backcourt and forced them into some easy turnovers getting some easy layups easy you know and ones but they didn't do it so you know, I, I think not only the team just not have the energy and kind of felt like they were on holiday, it felt like Coach Henson and the coaching staff just let them let one get away where they yeah. could have used their defense to really put more pressure on Army and potentially make this a win as opposed to this tough, this really kind of lopsided 10-point loss. Yeah, absolutely. They've got one more shot at their last non-conference game. Um, they're playing Prairie View A&M on Thursday at 7 p.m. in the Convo. It's also on ESPN+. Plus. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for us. So thanks for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atoves. I'm the Toves. We'll be back to recap the 2023 football season. Birds up.